You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. My name is Annie Hennen, and I will be reading today's scripture passage. Our passage comes from Genesis 22, verses 1 through 19. It can be found on page 11 of the Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son, Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went, so they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing as you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place... The Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Let us pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day, and thank you for the opportunity we have to gather here and listen to your word preached this morning. Lord, I pray that our hearts and minds would be open to hear what you want us to hear. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Imagine with me, you weren't feeling very well. You decided, I need to go see a doctor. For whatever reason, you had not had to see a doctor before, 
or you had moved or whatever. And so you needed to find a new doctor. And so you talked to a few friends and you Googled some doctors in the area and you had boiled it down to two choices. You're not feeling well, you're not sleeping well, you know something's probably up. So you go to two doctors um, and the two doctors are quite different. Let me describe the doctors. You tell me which you would pick. First doctor, well-liked by everyone who knows them. Call this doctor, Dr. C. Dr. C. Dr. C has all the right credentials, all the right things on the wall, all the right initials. And Dr. C has great bedside manner. Um, what is unique about Dr. C is when you go to that appointment, or what you've heard from people, feedback, Google reviews, is that Dr. C often hears your symptoms and then gives a treatment plan that is more or less affirming whatever it is you're doing and how you're living. And um, of course, that feels pretty good. <laughs> you, you go to Dr. C and they say, you know, tell me your exercise habits and maybe you're a couch potato and they say, keep doing that. And uh, maybe you say, man, I really love potato chips and cheese before I go to bed. And Dr. C says, go for it. That's, that's all right. And um, if you like, uh, go run. 10 miles a day. The doctor says, do keep doing that. Whatever it is you come to the table with, that's uh, what the doctor recommends. And that's Dr. C. All right. On the other hand, um, the other doctor that you've narrowed it down to will call Dr. B. Dr. B. Dr. B. Um, also, very kind, wonderful bedside manner, has all the credentials, well-liked by those who know Dr. B., but what makes Dr. B unique is Dr. B has a go-to treatment plan when you come in and you're not feeling well, and frankly, it's a little offensive. Seems to work for those who like Dr. B, but inevitably, your toes get stepped on by Dr. B, and that's the reviews you hear about Dr. B, here's a treatment plan, here's what you need to do, and whether you like it or not, here's the answer. So two doctors, Dr. C, Dr. B, both, not, neither of them rude, but very different treatment plans. Now, if you had to pick a doctor for your health, which would you pick? Dr. C, largely focused on affirming you and saying what you want to hear, or Dr. B, focused on your health even when it means saying what you don't want to hear. Now, perhaps you're already connecting the dots to Dr. C and Dr. B, and maybe you think this is a touch ridiculous, because honestly, who would pick Dr. C if your health was on the line? And even if Dr. B stepped on your toes, aren't we all more concerned about our health than being a little offended, but, but here's why I am starting with this situation. This contrast between Dr. C and Dr. B, it illustrates two approaches that many in our city, many in our culture, actually bring to spirituality. A bunch of churches are having a bunch of services today, and, and functionally, you could put them into two buckets. There's the Dr. C approach. We could call that Dr. Culture approach. I want to tell you that what you're doing is already good. I want to affirm you. Or there's the Dr. B approach, what we could call 
what the Bible has to say. And if you walked in here this morning unaware that those are two very different ways to approach spirituality, if you walked in here and you thought, Nobody's even told me there's two type of doctors. Just like if this was a legitimate example, if, if somebody said, hey, for your health, beware just hearing what you want to hear. There's another way to do it. I, I don't want to embarrass anyone who may be unaware that there are two very different ways people approach spirituality. But I do want to explain it so that you understand on Easter morning that those two approaches are so drastically different, I would not be willing to call both of them Christian at least biblically, they're really two different religions, just like those would be two different philosophical approaches to medicine. And what I want to do then this morning is as we look in our text, I want to walk through Genesis 22, and there's a couple questions that emerge from Genesis 22 that I want to contrast for you on this Easter morning to clarify the difference between a doctor culture approach and a doctor Bible approach to our text. So, Three questions that come out of Genesis 22, and we'll consider the Bible's answers with the culture's answer. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you go to Genesis chapter 22? I want to walk you through this so you can see how the text gives us our answers. The first question I want us to look at is this. What does God really ask of us? What does God really ask of us? We're going to look at verses 1 and 2 for this first question. This is Dr. B, biblical Christianity. Here's what he would have to say from the text after these things. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So notice right off the bat, God's testing Abraham. God's calling Abraham to total surrender. And, and if you've been with us in this sermon series, you, you may recall that it was 35 years between when God first promised Abraham and Sarah you're going to have a son until they had a son. <laughs> Isaac came on the scene when Sarah was 90, Abraham is 100. Many think this is about 15 years in the future. So, so at Genesis 22, Abraham's 115, Isaac's 15 years old. And we would have probably thought Abraham's faith has been shook enough. He's like on the home stretch. I mean, he's 115. What else does God want for this guy? I mean, all the way back in Genesis 12, God said, Abraham, leave your home country and go to a land that I will tell you. And there in Genesis 12, Abraham left his past behind. He left his home, his family, his friends, and he went. And here in Genesis 22, it's not just a past that God wants. Here in Genesis 22, God's saying, I want your future. Abraham passed the test in Genesis 12. Will he pass the test in Genesis 22? God wants his past. God wants his future. And Abraham's response, when God calls him, verse 1, did you see it? Here I am. 
a beautiful response for those willing to commit everything to God. What this small little section already reveals to us and what the Bible reiterates throughout all the scriptures is this. God wants all of us. God wants what's behind you. God wants where you're at right now. And God wants, wants what is coming. He wants your past. He wants your present. He wants your future. He wants your hopes. He wants your dreams. He wants your desires. He wants everything. Which is what I'd love for you to write down here on point number one if you're taking notes. God wants everything. And that's Dr. B. Hey, Dr. B, what's God really ask of me? Oh, glad you asked. It's quite simple. <laughs> Just everything. Well, Genesis 22 is our primary source for Dr. B. Let's take a moment to consider Dr. C, cultural spirituality, and the site, my sources, I'm Drawing from authors like Trevin Wax, Mark Sayers, and Charles Taylor. I can tell you more about that if you'd like. Here is the way I have synthesized those people's work in a quote on the screen. Here is Dr. C's response to the question, what does God really ask of us? God wants us to be really, really happy. To look deep to our hearts discover who we really are, and then to authentically live our truth regardless of the consequences. According to Dr. C, what God really wants of us is to be tolerant of everyone except those evil people who tell us we're wrong. Now, if that little paragraph there is a little too heady. If that's too cerebral, here's a couple common phrases you'll hear from people who are convinced by Dr. C's methodology. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. You be you. That's, that's, that's Dr. C medicine, which if you take those little phrases, be true to yourself, you know, follow your heart, you be you, you put that to music, you'd have a great Disney song, wouldn't you? That's a banger on the next princess movie that's coming out. Disney loves Dr. C. Having contrasted these two perspectives with just a couple verses, can you see how differently Dr. Bible answers from Dr. Culture? Dr. Bible calls us to surrender. Dr. Culture calls us to acceptance. Now, here we are at the end of point one, and a couple of you might be thinking, hey, good grief, bro. This Easter, I showed up. I just needed a little pat on the back. Tell me the tomb's empty and get me on my way. <laughs> and you're crushing me already. God wants everything. God wants surrender. But here's, here's why we're taking the time to do this. I think it's crucial to clear this up for fear that you may think that being a Christian is just an extra app to have on your phone. That when you're having a hard time, man, I click that app and I check it out and that helps me out for a little bit. That's not the way Dr. B talks. 
God isn't an extra add-on to your life that you reference if you're having a tough day. He's not going to upgrade your little iOS. He's a whole new device. He's, he's wanting to make you into a whole new creation. He wants to replace whatever your little device is with something brand new. And I don't want you to be confused by what biblical Christianity calls us to. Here then is the question Genesis 2 brings up. Will you give God everything? I think this begins to drill down to the heart for you and me. Will we give God everything? That's what God calls Abraham to give. Well, that's the first contrast I want you to see. And I suppose you're tracking, you can realize Dr. Bible doesn't mind stepping on your toes. If you think to yourself, well, that wasn't so bad. Well, let's go to question number two, see how this one goes. <laughs> question number two, what does obedience to God really look like? I'm drawing the answer for Dr. B from verses three to 10. Biblical Christianity, look with me in the text, verse three. Here's Dr. B. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And Abraham cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and then come again to you. Notice, church, Abraham doesn't look deep into his heart to decide what he wants to do and how he wants to worship. Rather, in obedience to God's command, Abraham's up right away, and he's getting his chores done before it's time to go. And consider how excruciating those three days of travel would have been knowing that when I get to my destination, I am going to face the toughest test of my life. Three days on a road trip for Abraham to consider, maybe I didn't hear God right. Maybe I actually don't have to do this. Maybe it'd be better to worship a different God. He must have had so many opportunities to turn around and to go, ah, not right now, maybe later. But he's committed to obedience. Abraham is committed to God's word. And despite the difficulty, he makes it to the mountain. And there at the bottom of Mount Moriah, he sets up base camp. He tells the two guys, stay here. We're going to come back. And he starts walking up a mountain with his son. Verse 6, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, and my father. Abraham said, here I am, my son. Isaac said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Some of the homework I've done as I've walked through Genesis is learning that Moses, our author, has frequently compared Ishmael and Isaac. 
Ishmael and Isaac are often put in parallel. And because Genesis 21 has Ishmael at age 15, many think that here in Genesis 22, Isaac is at age 15. Sounds kind of, sounds right to me. I, I, I agree with that analysis. Though our text doesn't tell us his exact age, do notice in the text, he is old enough to carry wood on his back. So how old is that? That kid's not four. He, he's also old enough to be walking up a mountain realizing we're missing something. Now, I know how sacrifices work is what Isaac's thinking. So, okay, maybe he's not 15, but is he 12? My point is, you've got a very old Abraham, who however old Isaac is, just at 100, that's how old Abraham is. And you've got Isaac asking a question, where is the lamb? Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. Turns out the English, the way, the way our Bibles read it, doesn't, maybe doesn't do it justice to what actually the Hebrew do, that does. In the original language, here's actually the way Abraham answers. Abraham says, after, after his son says, where's the lamb? Abraham says, God will provide. There is a lamb. The burnt offering will be my son. There is a announcement then here. Abraham is saying, it's you, Isaac. And I'm convinced that at age 15, the way Abraham says it in the original language, I've come to the conclusion, it was at this point that Isaac said, oh, oh, it's me. You may not agree with me on that finer point, but undoubtedly, Isaac does not run away. He knows they're missing a sacrifice, and he trusts his dad. I'm going to trust you, dad, and I'm going to walk up the hill. And verse 9, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, and he laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. For any of you who've tried to wrestle a kid into pajamas, you know that there's a fight that could happen very easily. But what we see here is no mention of any struggle. I think it's a second implicit nod to Isaac's willingness. Abraham clearly committed to obedience, Isaac trusting his dad. Okay, dad, if this is what God's called you to do, I'm in. Look then what obedience to God looks like for Abraham. Then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. On Easter Sunday, hear the answer to this second question according to Dr. Bible. What does obedience to God really look like? God expects his people to obey right away. 
God desires his people to worship him. That's what Abraham told the two guys at base camp. I'm going to worship, and I'm coming back. We're coming back. We're going to go worship. How do you worship? By obeying right away. That's the treatment plan from Dr. B. Let's pause here and consider the treatment plan from Dr. C. Again, I'm synthesizing other people's works. Here's what Dr. C says. Obedience to God includes relentlessly pursuing what I think will make me happy. Obedience requires committing myself completely to the desires I discover until I'm authentically living from my true identity. What is more, I must commit myself to helping others become who their hearts tell them they should be. And we are truly obedient when we are acting on the ultimate authority of our truth, our feelings. Regardless of whether our feelings contradict nature, objective reality, the Bible, our parents, or anything else. Obedience to God, according to Dr. C, is discover the truth deep inside of you and then live that way. Again, if this is a bit cerebral, here's a couple phrases that capture the essence. Find yourself. Don't let anyone tell you who you are. You know yourself best. Again, do you see how different Dr. C's treatment plan is from Dr. B? The Bible calls us to obedient worship of God. Culture is calling us to obedient worship of self. They're not the same. And in Genesis 22, what I'm wanting you to see and what the rest of Scripture reveals to us is that those who are God's people are like Abraham. Abraham has gone where God said to go. Abraham did what God said to do. And Abraham trusted God even in the face of death. That's biblical Christianity. Here again. I get our toes stepped on when we consider Dr. B's approach. Maybe I'm willing to offer a little something to you. Hey, they're going to pass a plate. I'll put a fill-in-the-blank in the offering. I'll pray before a meal. I'll go to an Easter service every now and then. Get off my back. But worshiping God is not doing what you want to do. Worshiping God the way he wants to be worshipped is giving him everything. And who here... Wakes up naturally thinking, oh, I hope I can just worship God with everything that I have and have total surrender. But that's what God calls us to, and it's a little bit offensive. Here then is a question for application. Will you obey God by surrendering everything to him? In the text, Abraham responds to God by saying, here I am. Will you? But pastor, what if God's asking for something really costly? What if Dr. B is calling me to a treatment plan that hurts? We obey right away. Even in the face of death. Get this. Biblical Christians choose the giver over the gift. And beware this Easter morning, 
if you love the blessings God gives more than the God behind the blessings. And, and understand, frankly, just call us what it is. Dr. C lies to us by telling us that we are great people who deserve God's blessings. It's a lie. The Bible's so clear. We don't deserve God's blessings. We deserve hell. We deserve death. Okay, pastor, but how do we reconcile death with, with biblical Christianity and important truth? God's promised blessing to Abraham does not avoid death. God's promised blessing to Abraham will ultimately come through death. So will you obey God by surrendering everything, even in the face of death? Has Dr. B stepped on your toes at all? If not, then I don't know if your toes are working, you need to go see a doctor for a different reason. <laughs> One last question to consider. But before we get there, we need to just sidebar for a moment to talk about the elephant in the room uh, because uh, I bet everybody in here, whether you actually love Dr. B's approach to spirituality or whether you're a Dr. C person, all of us, my guess, is uh, probably wondering at some point, the elephant in the room, the question is this, why in the world would God ask Abraham to do something so horrible? How do we even make sense of God when he asks Abraham to do something so awful? I don't want to derail the whole sermon, but let's answer this. Here's what helped me. I hope this helps you. If you look in Genesis 22, verse 1, right off the bat, we get to see this is a test. And it's a test of Abraham. So we must understand God's heart is not on display in Genesis 22. Nowhere in Scripture would God say, now you know how I told Abraham to kill his kid in Genesis 22. That is my heart for the world. It's not the way this works. Instead, we actually know from later chapters and verses in God's word, God hates murder. God hates child sacrifice. Therefore, we conclude this test is not trying to tell us what God is like. That's putting something on the Bible that's not there. You can't go to Genesis 22 and say, let me tell you about the heart of God, because we know this is not the heart of God. There are chapters in the Bible that tell us the heart of God. This is not it. What, the, what is this about? Genesis 22, this is about 22.1. This is about Abraham. This is about a test of Abraham, not about the heart of God. The, the, the question that God is asking Abraham in this chapter is this. Will you, Abraham, surrender everything to me? Your past, you've already said yes to, but will you surrender your future? That's God's purpose here. I like the way J.H. Walton puts it. One of the commentaries I read, God's purpose is to see what Abraham is prepared to give up. This test asks Abraham, are you willing to follow God if there is nothing in it for you? I hope that helps you with answering this question. Why would God ask such a horrible thing? By the way, if you're here and you're an atheist or agnostic and you reject God and, and you look at this and go, well, never. I will never follow a God who would ask a person, test or not. I'll never follow a God who would say, go kill a child, if that's you. 
Or if you're here and you know somebody who may go, you Christians, just read Genesis 22. Look what God is like. He, I can't imagine he would want to kill a child. That's so immoral. If you've ever thought that or you've ever heard that, I would love to talk to you after this service because as it turns out, if you actually think that human dignity is valuable, if you actually think children are precious and should be kept alive, you're actually more Christian than you think. And I won't derail it to go down that rabbit trail, but I would love to talk to any of you if you'd like to talk more there. Sidebar done. Let's move to our final question. Let's do one more final contrast between Dr. B and Dr. C. From the text, what do God's blessings really include? What are all of these blessings? Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, don't lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So what I want you to see, this is the same mountain years later that the temple would be built on. That temple where they would offer animal sacrifices day after day, year after year, on their high holy day, the day of atonement, there was a sacrifice provided as a substitute for the people so that they, the humans, didn't have to die. An animal did. And here we find a sacrifice provided for Isaac. Instead of sacrificing Isaac, God provides a ram. And here is what it shows us. Friends, God provides what he requires. God wants Abraham to go and worship. God says, will you worship me with everything? And Abraham says, I will. And then God says, here's what you need to worship me rightly. God will provide what he requires. The blessing for Abraham then is not finding himself by being authentic. It's loving the one behind the blessings more than the blessings themselves. And because Abraham trusted God in the face of death, 15 to 19, look in the text, verses 15 to 19, God reaffirms all of these covenant promises he had made previously to Abraham. Abraham, your offspring, they will one day number like the stars in the sky. Bro, try to count the stars. Good luck. But that's how many kids you're going to have. Abraham, your offspring is going to be like sand on the seashore. By all means, go count those grains of sand. That's how many kids one day you will have. Abraham's offspring would possess the gate of the enemy. And Abraham's offspring would bless the world. Here then is Dr. B's answer to the question, what do God's blessings really include? God blesses his people by providing everything they need. I'd love for you to write that down if you're taking notes so you can see how it works in biblical Christianity. 
God blesses his people by providing everything they need. And if you have been with us with Genesis, you know that Genesis, chapter after chapter, narrative after narrative, it is continuing to make the same point. God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And we just see God's faithfulness over and over and over again. God makes promises, he keeps his promises. He makes them, he keeps them. And what we see here is God keeping his promises to Abraham, even in the face of death. That's how it works in the Christianity. But one last contrast. Here's how cultural spirituality answers the question, what do God's blessings really include? God's blessings include total fulfillment by becoming who you really are. According to Dr. C, this is a whole different religion, God's blessings then are ultimately self-actualization. Finally finding what you've always been looking for from inside yourself. That's what Dr. Culture preaches. And here's what I hope you see then at this point of the sermon. Here on Easter Sunday, Dr. Culture's affirming promises are empty, for there is no way to find God's blessings or ultimate fulfillment inside ourselves. The Bible is so clear. Man is not born good. We are sinners by nature and choice. Everyone in here is a sinner. Sinner, 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 me too. All of us are sinners, and I know that steps on our toes, but you've got to hear it like it is for your good. Because we are sinners, we have been separated from a holy and just God, and God cannot ignore the sort of offenses we've made against him, and so sacrifice is necessary to reconcile us.
stand with me for the Lord's benediction from Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is setting before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him and... If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.